Hi, everybody, and welcome to this New Year's edition of A Conversation with Brian. I am so thrilled to have one of my good friends and former colleagues, Dr. Nardos King, join us tonight. Nardos has an extensive, extensive resume. Um, currently, she is interim chief equity officer for one of the top 10 most populous school districts in the country. She is president of the National Alliance of Black School Educators. She is also president of the Donna M. Saunders Foundation, which really focuses on breast cancer awareness. And she's vice president of DC Metro Black Women Education Alliance. And so without further ado, we want to welcome to a conversation with Brian, Nardis King. How are you? I'm well, Brian. Hello, and thank you for having me this evening. I'm so excited to do this. And I'm going to actually start something with something that's near and dear to your heart. We're going to get into it, but I'm going to be one of your pink tie guys tonight. All right. That's what I'm talking about. You know, I love the HBCU as well, you know. <laughs> My daughter, who I got her master's at Virginia State. That's right. Gives me all this gear. And so... Um, I really appreciate it, but we're going to get into uh, the, the Donna Saunders Foundation and all the other organizations that you lead. But what I do notice at the beginning of each one of my shows is I ask my guests to talk a little bit about their personal story, their professional journey, so my audience can get to know you. But um, pretty much everybody knows Nardis King. You're, you are professional. <laughs> you know, influencer in our, in our profession. And I've been fortunate enough to know you since I was in Fairfax County since 2004. But who is Nardis King? Dr. Nardis King. So um, Nardis King is the daughter of Ron and Atafarao Brown. You know, I come from parents who um, had humble beginnings. My mother immigrated to this country after marrying my father from Ethiopia. So I'm half Ethiopian, something that I'm very, very proud of. And uh, my father was uh, born and raised in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and happened to be stationed in the military. And my mom was in nursing school in Germany. And they met and my my mother was the first person in her very, very large family to come to the United States wow. back in the um, late 50s. And um, when there wasn't a lot of Ethiopians here at that time, you know, in Jeddah, if you know anything about Ethiopian food in Jeddah is a staple. And it was yeah. hard for her to find that when she first got here because there weren't a lot of Ethiopians um, right. like there are today here in the United States. So I had a humble beginning. My father was in the Air Force and I lived on an Air Force base for the first 12 years of my life. Um, and then my father retired from the Air Force when I was in the sixth grade and moved to where we call home, uh, Mount Holly, New Jersey. So I grew up in Mount Holly, New Jersey, uh, went to a high school that was the one high school, regional high school in the area, and then left there and went to Virginia State University, where I met and fell in love with my husband. I did graduate from college as well, and <laughs> but I'm most excited that I met my husband there. And then my husband was in the military also. So right after we got married, he was already stationed in Germany. I moved to Germany and lived there for three years and then moved to Oklahoma, was a military spouse and worked in the school system in support staff roles, right? So I was an instructional assistant, a library assistant, um, and a finance assistant all while I was in Lawton, Oklahoma. And then we transferred here um, to the DMV 
where we've been living for the last 28 years. And uh, I've worked in Fairfax County Public Schools for 25 of those 28 years with taking a small stint in Baltimore County right. for three years and, and having a variety of um, positions. But I am a mother of two wonderful children who did go through Fairfax County Public Schools. I had the um, awesome experience of being their high school principal. I don't know if they would say it was awesome, but it was awesome to me. Cool. And and I have a, a nine-month-old grandbaby that I'm super excited about. Well, congrats. So that, that's who I am. I'm an educator. I'm a community advocate and um, a community service person where I spend most of my free time giving back to my community through the various organizations that I belong to. Yeah, Nardis, um, you know, one of the things that I, I've just known about you is that you have so many pursuits, endeavors, passions, interests, um, but they all, you know, center around helping people. I mean, you help so many people with everything that you do. And I think that's what uh, impresses me. And that's why I admire you so much. When we talk about this idea of education, and, and you mentioned it a little bit, you started off as a support uh, person in schools. And I think that gives you a great view and a great perspective to, to honor all people in schools. And just knowing how you ran your school, everybody felt like they mattered. Right. And so can you talk a little bit about that, you know, being a support person and and that's that's very unusual to start as a as a support person and then become a principal and then a leader of a you know of a district. Um, what kind of per perspective did that give you? Yeah. So just to, you know, give your listeners a perspective of how I got there. Um, you know, when I went to Virginia State University, my undergrad, I was a business major and I really thought I was going to be a computer scientist. Um, that didn't work out. Right. So I, I did major in, in, in graduate with a degree in business information systems. But moving to Germany, um, you know, it, it was very difficult for me to get a job because I didn't speak German off the, you know, out in the um, in the German atmosphere. It, so I got a job on post and I started substitute teaching. I also started substitute teaching right after I graduated while I was waiting to prepare for my wedding. And so once I started substitute teaching, I feel like I missed out. Right. And that if I could have gone back, I probably would have majored in education. Um, but being a military spouse. Right. Um, I, I supported my husband. He was a military officer. Um, there was a huge expectation that you support your husband in his career, particularly when he was an officer. And I loved doing that, right? Helping troops and helping the wives and spouses of troops at the time. So I, I really started um, my career in education by being a substitute teacher. When we moved to Oklahoma, um, you know, I wanted to get a full-time job and I became an instructional assistant in a fifth, sixth grade split class. And at that time I had the absolute best experience. Um, Vicki Apple was my the teacher that I worked with, and she allowed me to do the teaching of fifth graders while she did the sixth graders. And I didn't know what I was doing, but I learned quickly and, and absolutely fell in love with it. And at that time, I really thought I was going to be an elementary school person, but that job only lasted a year. I got de-staffed, uh, became a full-time librarian in the elementary school and loved that and really learned in that experience, Brian, how important it was, reading was. I, I knew, but I really didn't know until I saw the kids who came to my library every day and the love that they had for reading and how that equated to their performance in the classroom. Sure. Even kids who were bored in school were scoring at the top percentage in our school on testing because their their um, literary skills were literacy skills were off the chain. Yeah. So moving to that, I became a finance assistant at the high school. And then when I got to the high school, I really loved that experience. And that's why I ended up staying at the high school level. But what I learned from all of those positions when I came to Fairfax County, I was the principal secretary at Hunt Valley Elementary School before I transferred to Mount Vernon as the finance tech. 
in every single one of those experiences, I learned what it really meant to be um, an educator and supporter of kids, right? Because support staff support the teacher who supports the kids. And I knew that one day I would go back and get my teaching license. I just didn't know when. And to be honest with you, I loved every single one of my jobs. So I wasn't in a hurry because I really loved all the different experiences that I um, that I got to do uh, for, for several different reasons. But what it did do when I became a high school principal is when people said I can't and they were in the position that I had been in, I yeah. just quietly let them know how they can, you know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I did value every single one of my employees because, you know, the school doesn't work unless everybody is doing their job at the maximum level and they have to feel affirmed and valued in, in order to do that. Mm -hmm. And because they knew that I had those experiences, I think they respected me a little bit more mm -hmm. um, because I had been in their shoes. And I think one of the things that I've always tried to think about is um, everybody in our buildings, they're experts. Our custodians are experts, our office staff are experts, our cafeteria work workers are experts, our bus drivers are experts. They know more than the teachers in their particular dis discipline. Sure. So why are we not treating them as professionals and experts? So I think that's why you probably had so much respect from them because you treated them as if they were experts. Right. And I never asked them to do something like you did when you were a principal that I wouldn't do. Mm -hmm. I remember often cleaning the cafeteria tables in between lunches and some of my custodians like, I got that. I got that. I was like, look, you don't think I clean my house? I, I know <laughs> exactly. how to do this. Yeah. Right. So it was just it was my school. I took pride in my school. And if I could lend a help, a lending hand in any position, um, mm -hmm. I made sure that I did that. And when you lead by example, others pick up those traits, too. Of course, of course. You, you model what you want to see other people do. And so that's exactly. That's hey, let's look at a couple of your um, organizations that you lead. And, and one of the organizations that you lead really is a national organization. And you become just truly one of the most inspirational and influential people um, really in our profession. And that's the being the president of, of the National Alliance of Black School Educators. Can you talk a little bit about that organization and, and how you, you know, got to that position and, and what's your role? Yes, sure. So the National Alliance of Black School Educators was founded in 1972 by a group of superintendents, 18 black superintendents in the country at that time that just got together to hear each other's experiences. And here we are 50 years later, we just celebrated our 50th conference last November here in, the, in Washington, D.C., which was fabulous. And we had over 120 Black superintendents attend, which I thought was significant, right? Because we're celebrating 50 years later where yeah. 18 got together and that. So it's a national organization that is um, brings educators and all stakeholder groups. It's not just for teachers, right? We have commissions under higher education, the parent commission, the um, instructional and instructional support commission, superintendents commission, and the retirees commission. So anybody that's in that stakeholder group can be part of the organization. We come together under um, our national conference, but all year long we are putting on events through, you know, the pandemic has helped us switch to being able to provide um, support and webinars through all those commissions um, around the country to bring folks and black educators around the country together. But, you know, our goal is really to find best practices and make sure that we are hitting those best practices at the grassroots level yeah. that impact children of color, but also all children, right? Because we know that if our focus is on marginalized kids, that it's gonna bring everybody up. 
But, um, you know, we, we've been around for a long time. The organization boasts about 5,000 members across the country in um, Canada and uh, the Virgin Islands and in Africa as well. Wow. When do you sleep? You know, I do. It, people ask me that all the time, Brian, which is, I find hilarious because I do sleep. I get my sleep on. Um, I go to bed every night between nine and 10 o'clock and I get up at five and I utilize all that time that I have during the day to get what I need to get done. You know, sometimes it might be late, depending on what um, exciting television show is on. I might stay up a little later, but I do sleep, um, but I do work hard. You know, uh, my superintendent, my current superintendent, we joked about this because she says that one day we're going to be sleeping eternally. And so, I, you know, we might as well work as much as we can while we're here. Uh, how long is your term? Um, I have one more year. So it's a two-year term as um, the national president. Right. But I was, I was the president-elect for three years. So the president-elect in our organization serves as the conference chair. So I've been out there for a long time. And people don't understand our structure. So they think I've been president for a very long time. But um, the term for president is two years. Um, you are the, um, president of your, um, dearly departed late friend, Donna Saunders foundation. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I, I've kind of followed you kind of on the periphery, but I see, you know, posts about, you know, the pink tie guy and other things that you all do. Um, and can you talk one, a little bit about Donna, but also, you know, what has spurred you to just become dogged about this issue? Yeah. So Donna has spurred me and our friends, right? So if you knew Donna, then you'd know why we do what we do. Um, Donna was, she was my best friend. She was my college roommate. And um, she was first diagnosed with cancer, a breast cancer, when we were juniors in college, wow. which forced her to leave school because she had to go come home to get her treatment. Right. And um, then she was fine for 20 years and it came back in the other breast and it took her life after six years. And in the end, you know, um, I was away when when the doctor told her that she had three weeks to live and we were devastated. Right. Because I was going to be gone for a week and I and I felt guilty that her last three years on this earth, I was going to be away for a week because I loved her like a sister. And um, so when I came back, literally, I saw her every day for those last two weeks of her life. And we just had great conversations. She was cognizant. She could talk right. um, until the you know, really the last two days. But we talked about, you know, how do you want to be remembered? And she had um, made peace with with her sentence and that she was ready to go. You know, her mom had passed away. She had a brother that passed away. But she asked us um, to help people in her memory. And so we didn't know what we were going to do initially. In the first year, we just walked in the Susan G. Bo G. Coleman walk because that's something Donna liked to do every year. And we did it right. with her. Um, but I felt like that wasn't really what she wanted us to do, right? We pay money to this large organization. Um, and I don't know how directly individuals would get help because when we used to go with Donna to her chemo sessions, she would be sad that others didn't have the same support. She has a very large family and she was never alone. Somebody always went with her. And we used to talk about people that she saw by herself. So the year after she died, I was like, I'm going to start a foundation. I got a group of friends. And so we're going to start this foundation and we're going to help people that need help while they're in treatment, paying their bills, because we knew the stress and the struggle. And Donna never had this struggle financially because people helped. Right. And so we raise funds all year long and we pay out all year long. Our money comes in and it goes out. We don't have paid staff. We're all of our board is uh, we have 11 member board and we're all volunteers. 
and uh, we get the job done. And I'm telling you that our, our organization, our foundation now is um, 12 years. No, we started in 2012. So we're going into our um, 11th year. Right. I can't tell you how many, like today we got four requests. Yesterday we got seven requests. Every single day we are getting requests from people all over the country with desperate stories. And it makes me sad because we're a small organization and we don't have the money that the big foundations have, but we have enough to help. And, um, you know, if I could quit my job, like if I won that $1.1 billion lottery, Mm -hmm. I would put half of it in this foundation because that's how much help people need. And that's the promise that we made to Donna. So we work just to keep that promise and we're driven by that promise that we made to her before she died. Well, you can just hear it in your voice and the passion yeah. you have for this this issue. It's um, it truly is admirable, and I just you know, just um, I know the people who you are helping feel very blessed and honored that you are doing this on behalf of Donna, but also you're supporting them as well. So that's yeah. that, that's pretty amazing. Hey, let's talk about your job um, as um, interim equity offer officer. Um, in your county, um, but also, you know, go back a little bit and talk about being a principal. You know, what what what, what brings you joy um, in your job? Because I know, you know, we talk about this, you know, offline and we've talked before, you know, being a principal and being in any leadership position, um, you have to have this this passion because there are so many other things that can take you away from that, that, that the main, the, the main reason why you're in the job and that's for kids. You, you're getting slung every everything every day. Um, sometimes a lot of different challenges, things that are just headaches. But what brings you joy um, from your job as you know interim equity officer? But also, what brought you joy as as a, a principal? Yeah, I think honestly, and you know, I've had a lot of titles and a lot of jobs in in our education field, right? I think my favorite job was a high school principal, right? And because I just loved my school. I worked at Mount Vernon for 20 years. And so I was, I was all in, right? And just seeing kids um, be successful and finding that light bulb um, and turning it on every day was something that brought me joy. Even with the challenges that I faced, um, you know, sometimes it's hard when you have discipline issues and you have to make life-changing decisions that impact kids. You know, those were hard days, but the good days were that... You know, the majority of the kids come to school for the right reasons every day. And we as adults have the opportunity to help see them meet their dreams and their greatest aspirations. And that brought me joy every day as a principal. You know, I was tired towards the end of my principalship. I had done it for nine years and I knew it was time for me to go and pass the baton so that somebody with a lot more energy than I had at that time can continue to bring the joy to that school. But I miss it. I I really miss the day-to-day operations of running a school. Um, but I'm grateful for the time that I did. In this role here, you know, I really find joy working with my coworkers to find ways to make sure that people have e- students have equitable access to opportunities in our school system. You and I both know for a long time, um, you know, w- we could not boast in this county that um, all kids had access and opportunity. And so I used to be one of those people that complained about that. And now I'm in a role that I can make sure that the voice of the voiceless is heard at all the decisions that we make every day in the county. So, um, you know, my superintendent asked me to step in this role, um, the previous superintendent, before he left. um, 
and I'm still in the role and we're waiting to see the direction that our new superintendent is going to take with the district. And I'm here to serve at her will, whether I stay in this position or go back to my position as assistant superintendent. Right. Either way, the joy I find is that I know that I have the power and the privilege to help make decisions that are going to impact all kids, regardless of their zip code. Yeah. And I think that's always been your mission, right? Always. Hey, what, what does the public get wrong? Um, and it's not like a, a ding at the public, but I, I think sometimes because people um, have gone to school, they think they know what education's about and they don't think they know how to run a school or they think they know, you know, the the ins and outs or, or what we should do with our jobs. Um, but what do you think is this this misunderstanding or do they get wrong in terms of their, their idea of, um, you know, what public education's about? Yeah, I think that public education is the greatest aspect of living in the United States of America. The fact that we offer every single child the opportunity to learn for free, and we know it's not free because somebody pays the taxes for that, but for kids to be able to go to school and learn every day when we know that other countries um, around the world don't have that same opportunity for all of their students, um, that that's something that all citizens should unite around. Yeah. And I think today, um, you know, a lot of times people are politicizing things for their own talking points. Yeah. But the majority of the people that I come across and talk to every day, they understand the importance um, for our country, for a public school education system that services all kids and support us in that, right? right? But we're always gonna hear the loudest voices who wanna scream at the moment. Right. And so, you know, I don't want to say people get things wrong because I think that they know what they're doing, right? right? People know what they're doing at this time. I just implore people to stand behind your public school system um, because if this public school system goes away, so goes this country, right? We cannot have this great country if we don't have public school opportunities for all kids. Um, I, you know, have friends who I have debates with about the difference between public and private schools. And, um, you know, people have choices. And if you want to send your kids to private school, that's your business and that's your prerogative. Yeah. But it doesn't mean you should bash public schools because public schools are good for kids. I came up through public schools. My Both my kids went to public schools and they are great contributing adults in this country, taxpaying adults in this country who are raising, you know, the next generation of kids that are doing that. And it's just an opportunity that I think that we should not take for granted. When I was principal at Mount Vernon High School, a delegation from Africa came to visit my school. And I remember a grandmother crying to me, asking if her if she could send her grandson to come live with me because she could not believe the opportunities that kids had in our country. Yeah, the resources yeah. that we have. Is the just resources, the, the, the books that they have to pay for the education for their kids, they have to pay for all the supplies for their kids, and they just could not believe um, the resources that were offered to the students at our school. And so, you know, I am always going to, until they lay me down for that eternal rest that I talk about, be a public school advocate. And when I retire, I'm going to make sure I spend my time making sure everyone understands the importance of that. I get to do that in my role um, as, as a you know leader in a large school district, but I'm going to continue to do that. And I employ all your listeners to do that as well. You know, one of the things that um, sometimes people get frustrated with me, um, even some of our colleagues, 
is being, I mean, I always start by saying, you know, I, I have the utmost respect for all of our educators. And I think most of our educators are in it for the right reasons. And they, they work tirelessly on behalf of, of, our, um, of our kids. But I still think sometimes we have held on to a traditional mindset and traditional system with some of our colleagues. And I've had to, you know, really push, you know, when I, you know, consult around the country or talk around the country, push people to think a different way because, um, you know, our, our traditional system was created to sort and select kids. We, we were, and, and, but we still hold on to it. We still do. Right. And so, um, when I, when I would push people, um, I would get pushback, but then I always ask, what would you want for your own kid? That's the question. And, and, and if if you would not want that for your kid, why would you want it for somebody else's kid if it's, they're not getting the best of us? And so when we talk about this collaborative culture or working together um, to make sure that we share our practices, if I'm with a group of principals and when I'm sitting in a, a room with Nardis King, I'm going to be picking Nardis King's brain or listening to Nardis to see what she's doing in her school so I can put more tools in my school. That that doesn't, you know, make me feel like I'm less of a person or less of an educator because I don't know everything. So how do you help how do you help our educators understand that transparency, being vulnerable, um and, and asking for help and, and sharing their 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 practices and, and their experiences helps everybody? Yeah, you know, some people want and are hungry for that, Brian. And there's some people that are still stuck, right? When you when you visit schools, you see the principals who get it right away. Yeah. Um, and you still see where you need to lend support to principals. So just having transparent and honest conversations with folks is who I am as a person, as a leader. And I don't I don't um shy away from speaking my truth, right? And when I go into buildings, I constantly now have Quincy on my mind. Quincy's my grandson, right? Yeah. And so when I see things that doesn't look right, and I see things that are particularly not right for um, what has been traditionally marginalized student groups, yeah. then I will have those conversations. And and sometimes people just don't know. It's not intentional, but they're yeah. not being intentional. Sure. And that's what I need them to be. They have to pay attention to the child that is always sitting in the back of the circle yeah. not engaged, who might, you might have perceptions about that child that you don't even understand what's really going on with why he or she is sitting at the end of the circle. But I want you to pay attention to that. Um, and I see those things sometimes when I go into to schools and I have conversations with people and I can see that the passion is there. Yeah. So I know that the good intentions are there, but sometimes they have to be reminded because you have to step sometimes outside of your comfort zone and have those difficult and hard conversations about why my my data looks the way that it does. Yeah. Um, you know, we have gaps in education in a world-class school system, right? Fairfax County is a, a world-class uh, school system, but we still have gaps in our education. We have to ask ourselves and be honest about why is that happening, right? We're not a third world country. We're not a school that struggles with a school system that struggles for resources, but we still have kids that are leaving third grade that are not reading on grade level. We still have ninth graders coming to high school that can't understand the vocabulary in a biology book. And we have to really start peeling back the onion 
to see why in the last four or five years did we get to that space. And I think we're getting better at it, right? Um, I see a change in my you know 25 years in this district from where I started to where I am, but we still have work to do. One of the one of my mentors, um, and she passed away last year, Carolyn Miller, who was um, a principal in Fairfax, and she was the person who brought me into Fairfax from Arlington. She when I when she sat down with me, um, when she interviewed me for an assistant principal's job when I was leaving Arlington, she said, um, my school has to pass the Justin and Ashley test, just like you talked about Quincy. And I said, who's Justin and Ashley? And she said, they're my grandkids. And she said, I should be able to open up the school door and let Justin and Ashley go into that building and pick any teacher. And I should be able to feel comfortable with whomever they choose, because that's the kind of culture and that I want to create in my my school where every teacher really has a passion and urgency to make sure that every child, no matter who they are, um, is successful. And is exactly what you were saying about Quincy. Yeah. You know, it's funny, Brian, that, um, you know, I get calls a lot from people around the country who are moving here because of my connections, right? I, I've met so many people for from my um, involvement with NAPSI. And then, of course, on the Ethiopian side, I have relatives in Ethiopia that will tell people to call me, you know, to tell them where to live. And, you know, when folks come here and say to me, well, what schools in Fairfax County should I send my kids to? I always give the same answer. Find the house that you love and move in. Yeah. In Fairfax County, there are no bad schools. Right. We have the same curriculum. We have the same teachers that can work in any school. You have to be an engaged, involved parent and make sure that they're taking care of your kids. Yeah. And if you do that, it doesn't matter what school in Fairfax County that you, you, you your kids attend. They'll be fine. The organization that you're involved in. And again, there, there's so many <laughs> vice president of the D.C. Metro Black Women's Education Alliance. Tell me about yeah. that. So that's a new um, form chapter that. Um, myself and Angela Atwater and a group of people, Debbie Jackson, you might've remembered uh, Debbie Jackson, it was here. Um, so this organization was founded in the seventies in Philadelphia and it's a women's organization, black women's organization started by a group of women in the Philadelphia school system. And so we've chartered their third chapter. They've been around for a long time, but we are only their third chapter. We have about a hundred members and our members make up um, the school systems in the DMV. So we have people in Virginia, Maryland, and uh, the District of Columbia that are members. And again, we just come together and collaborate as women of color in this educational field to find out how we can uplift each other, inspire each other to um, go after those leadership positions that you know the young folks, it's really like a mentoring and then really giving back to our community through our roles in education. So I'm excited about it. This is just year two for us. But to have a membership of 100 in year two is is pretty good. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Good for you all. Good for you all. Angela Atwater. I don't know if you knew Angela Atwater. She's our president. I do. Yes. Yeah. yes. All these these great women who truly are models, role models. And, and uh, I think the, the beautiful thing is that you, you are so positive about lifting each other up. And I mean, that's not that the... That the negative, oh, she's got this or this person's got this. It's about that unity and, and making sure that um, we are just fulfilling each other's or filling each other's cups. Right. No, no crabs in a barrel mentality here. Exactly. Hey, before we go, um, I always try to ask you know, my my guest, you know, when when they finished, again, you talked a little bit about it, but when you 
you you finish with your present position and you you know, move on to retirement. Um, you know, what do you plan to do? And then the other piece is, what do you want your legacy to be? So, you know, I used to ask my students that at Mount Vernon, right? Particularly when I, they had to, if they were in meeting with me, most times it wasn't, you know, for, for positive reasons when I was having these conversations. And I would say to them, you know, what do you want your legacy to be in 15 years when people remember you as a student? What do you want them to have said about you? And I just hope when I'm done and I, I take my eternal resting place that people said that I was kind, that I cared, and that I was loving. Those three things, kind, care, and loving in all that I do, then I, then I think that I had a life well lived. Well, you definitely are those, you know, just again, when, when I became principal at, at, um, at Mount Eagle and just getting to know you, and then we were on that committee together, um, I, I knew that I was around somebody who was going to be influential, not just in her, in her school, not just in the, in the district, but, but nationally because of just who you are and the, 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 just the, the, the care that you have for our profession. I, I knew that, you know, you walk in a room and you light it up and it's not because you're, oh, it, thank you. but it, it really is because you believe that this is your purpose and that you are here to, you know, serve a, a greater calling than just yourself. Uh, well, Brian, I want to say that, you know, I'm proud of you as well. You know, you you changed a school and a school community in Fairfax County and people remember you still today for the work that you've done. I was telling somebody when I was rushing out of work today, I was like, I'm going to go have a conversation with Brian Butler. She's like, oh, how lucky is that? Right. So people remember who you are and what you've been able to do nationally with your work. We're, we're proud of you here in Fairfax County and, and really grateful that we can call you one of ours. I appreciate it. And so as I go, um, I, I use this African proverb with everybody who was on my show because they do influence me. It's an African proverb that I use with my at my dad's funeral um, a couple of years ago. It's as I go, I am wearing you. And that just means that this this indelible handprint or, or print that uh, anybody who has made a positive impact in my life um, is a part of me. Um, Brian Butler is a compilation or a combination of all these people who have helped me. Um, and, and I am wearing Nardis King because of the influence you've had on my life. So I appreciate that friend. And thank you so much for coming on a conversation with Brian. Thank you so much for having me, Brian, and best of luck to you. So much. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks.